Let me pray for us as we start. Almighty Lord Jesus, you are our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. You are with us. You are our fortress. Remind our hearts this morning of how strong you are and how kind you are to us. Amen. I love a good disaster movie, especially the subgenre of those like apocalyptic end of the world natural disaster movies. The more outlandish, the better. Uh, the, the Day After Tomorrow is a particular favourite, and in this movie, the Earth experience, experiences the sudden onset of a new ice age caused by climate change. The special effects were pretty amazing for 2004 when the movie was released. And uh, during the movie, we get to see a massive hailstorm, super tornadoes, a tsunami, and a world, worldwide flash freezing event. So it's quite an eventful two hours. Uh, I've also got a soft spot for Twister and Armageddon. Uh, but, for, but for some reason, watching cataclysmic natural disasters that bring about the almost destruction of humanity is comfort viewing for me. I just love that wild ride of global destruction, the tension between safety and, and danger. And I love the eventual triumph of the determined astrophysicist or paleoclimatologist as they forge a path to survival and security for them and their family. But natural disasters aren't entertaining as a general rule. Earthquakes, Volcanoes, tsunamis, famine, landslides, disease, bushfires. When we're confronted by the epic force of nature and the devastation that it can cause, it's truly horrifying. The same year that The Day After Tomorrow was released in 2004, a 9.3 magnitude earthquake just off the coast of Indonesia caused a massive tsunami with waves up to 30, 30 metres tall, which devastated coastal areas around the Indian Ocean. Almost 230,000 people died, and millions more were injured and displaced. The earth changes and gives way. The mountains shake and fall into the heart of the sea. Its waters roar, they rage and foam, and the mountains quake and tremble with their surging. When we're faced by the power and devastation of natural disasters, it can be overwhelming, horrifying. We can feel undone. And this chaos can also be reflected in our own experience. Perhaps you can think of a time in the past when you felt that your life was out of control. Maybe you're in the thick of that time at the moment. When our world is undone by suddenly losing our job. When our world is undone by the death of a family member or friend. When our world is undone by the sinful actions of another person. The psalmist, the person or people who composed Psalm 46, they've also faced their world coming undone. They've experienced the chaos and horror of life. And by writing these words, the psalmist gives us words to use when we face chaos and horror. As believers, 
It can feel impossible to know how to react when life spirals out of control. But this psalm teaches us how to respond to God when things come undone by making these words our own. And not only are these words written down for us to read and meditate on individually, did you notice when James read Psalm 46, in the heading it says that this is a song, and a song is meant to be sung. These are words we can sing together in the midst of chaos and suffering. We can sing, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, let's get stuck into the psalm as we learn how to respond when our world comes undone. Well, in the first few verses, the psalmist describes in poetic language a natural disaster, something like an earthquake, with the earth giving way, the mountains falling and quaking. But it's more than that. At a deeper level, these verses evoke the forces of chaos, creation itself disintegrating as the division between land and sea dissolves. For the Israelites, God's people in Old Testament times, the description of the roaring and foaming waters would have especially struck a chord. Uh, in Hebrew poetry, the raging sea was often used as a metaphor for cosmic chaos, a malevolent force that destroyed life and created disorder. So one example of this is in the first few paragraphs in Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible. So before creation, when nothing existed except God, poetry is again used to describe this state of uncreation. So in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So darkness over the surface of deep waters, conveying the danger and emptiness of the world. And then in the next verses, God speaks, separating light and dark, day and night, water from sky. And not, so not only does God create matter, so earth and plants and animals, God also brings order. Out of the existential horror of nothingness, God brings form and fullness. And so we return to Psalm 46, to the waters roaring, foaming and surging, so powerful and out of control that the mountains quake. So this is a scene of decreation, the reversal of Genesis chapter one of God's good ordering of the universe. And in the midst of this chaos, what do we see the psalmist saying? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the entire creation unravels around us. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The raging and roaring depicted in these verses is overwhelming. But the focus of this song is God. He is our refuge in the storm, our shelter from chaos. He has proven himself to be our strong helper against distress. 
Uh, interestingly, as a complete side note, maybe you'll indulge me for a moment as I'm about to start an Old Testament PhD. The word here, help or helper, is the same word used at the creation of woman in Genesis. So it's the word azer in Hebrew. Uh, in Genesis 2, God looks at the first human, Adam, and says, it is not good for Adam to be alone. I will make an azer corresponding to him. Uh, so traditionally, azer has been translated as helpmeet uh, here in Genesis chapter 2. And this translation can give us the idea that women were created to be the subordinate assistants of men. But when this same word, Azer, is used in Psalm 46, that's not the idea we get at all, is it? God is an ever-present help in trouble. He is our strong helper in distress, one who gives us courage and comes alongside us to rescue us from calamity. In fact, the vast majority of times that the word Azer is used in, in the Bible, it refers to God. Now, Genesis 2 is obviously a, a different context, but reading it next to Psalm 46 can give us a more robust and a more biblically accurate view of humanity's creation. Anyway, back to Psalm 46. So as we read these amazing words of the psalmist's trust in God, we can adopt them as our own. When our lives are coming undone, in the midst of pain and confusion and insecurity, we can say God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. I have a niece called Sienna, who is almost one, and she's adorable and I'm obsessed with her. Uh, but when she wakes up, and she's, she's been having a nap and she needs something or she's scared, she'll cry because she knows that her parents will come and comfort her. They'll wipe her tear-streaked face and cuddle her close until she settles down. In the same way, we can cry out to God and know that he will comfort us and protect us. He has proven himself faithful in the past so we can trust him now and for the future. Well, from the noise and action of the first few verses, there's a sudden change of setting in verse 4. We move abruptly from chaos to calm. The raging, roaring waters are transformed into a river, beautiful flowing streams that bring joy and sustenance. So in the movement of this song, we see that God's power surpasses even the greatest forces of creation. And so he reshapes our experience of chaos into an experience of peace. And verses four to six vividly create this picture of peace. The streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. In the Old Testament, the city of God is referring to Jerusalem or Zion, the capital of Israel and the place where God's temple was located. So God had designated this city and its temple as the place for his people to come to him in worship and prayer. And God promised his people that because he had chosen to dwell in that temple and that city in a unique way, it would not fall. They could have security and peace because they had taken refuge in God. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
In verse 6, we then get this return to the earlier sense of chaos, but this time it's not the waters roaring and the mountains falling, it's nations and kingdoms. The overwhelming, horrifying power of nature is also seen in the might of dictators, presidents, armies and governments. Just think of Russia's war on Ukraine, China's threat to Taiwan, the devastation wrought by the British Empire. The world changes, empires rise and fall, the nations roar and rage, they begin wars and take up bows and spears. Can you imagine the epic noise of mountains crashing into the sea? The noise of a bomb being dropped? The noise of soldiers and tanks firing artillery? the raging and roaring of violence and devastation. At the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games, I went to the women's water polo grand final and Australia was one of the teams competing and the game was tied until the final seconds when one of the Australian players took a long shot at the goal and got it in. The noise was phenomenal. The entire stadium, including me, screamed so loudly that for a few moments, I couldn't hear anything at all. Just imagine that level of noise. And then can you imagine something being heard over all that? A single, unamplified voice speaking in the midst of several thousand screaming sports fans. You wouldn't be able to hear anything they said, would you? God's voice has incomparable power. His voice cuts through the noise and the chaos so that everything else just melts away. We saw the same thing in our New Testament reading from Mark's Gospel. In the midst of a massive storm with the wind and waves howling, the boat creaking and the sails slamming in every direction, Jesus speaks, quiet, be still. And the storm obeys him. The incredible power of nature submits immediately to the incomparable power of God. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Even the most powerful nations and leaders on earth are powerless before God. The final verses of Psalm 46 tell us more about how God demonstrates his power over the nations. I'll read uh, from verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. God is sometimes portrayed in popular culture as an old man on a throne, decrepit, disconnected, and powerless to intervene in world events. Perhaps that's sometimes how we think of God. But that's not how the Bible reveals God to us. In this psalm and elsewhere, God is depicted as a warrior who ends wars and brings justice. He destroys the weapons of war. He brings judgment on those who consistently oppose him. 
And in case we just thought this was an Old Testament thing, Jesus is also shown as a warrior in the book of Revelation. Uh, Let me read a few verses from chapter 19 of Revelation, and this is a vision that God gave to John, one of Jesus' disciples. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. At the end of history, when Jesus returns to renew his creation, he will come as a warrior and a judge, and the whole world will see the incomparable power of Christ. That is the power of God Almighty. And it'll be truly terrifying. If we thought earthquakes and dictators were powerful, they're nothing compared to Jesus. Well, finally, in the second last verse of Psalm 46, God himself speaks. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Once again, God's voice powerfully drowns out any other noise. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, The English translation here, be still, is a lot gentler than it is in the original language. The meaning is more like stop. Just stop it. No more. Like a parent intervening between squabbling children. That's enough. And immediately, everything stops at the sound of his voice. Wars cease. Earthquakes become still. The raging of the nations fades to silence. Stop it, God says, and know that I am God. I am the one in control, even in the midst of chaos, even when the world unravels. And then the psalmist ends by stating their trust in God with a repeated refrain that you might have noticed I've repeated a couple of times during the sermon. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, These two lines are only seven words in Hebrew, and they're a perfectly formed piece of poetry with the word fortress in the center, making it the focus of our attention. The Lord Almighty is with us. A fortress to us is the God of Jacob. The chaos of this world can overwhelm us. The reality of God's coming judgment is terrifying. But in the Lord Almighty, in Jesus, we have a fortress. Only in Jesus, in his incomparable power and kindness, 
Can we find refuge and strength so that we don't have to fear? So how do we respond when our world comes undone? Well, to finish, uh, let's have a brief look at the two commands in Psalm 46. And those two commands are come and see in verse 8 and stop in verse 10. And I think rather than these being actions to do more or to take action, these are commands to inaction. Come and see and stop. So firstly, come and see what God has done. See God's power in action. See how he has acted in history and in the present. See how Jesus became human and lived among us dwelling with his people in a far superior way to God's presence in Jerusalem and in the temple. See how Jesus died, taking the judgment for sin that was rightfully ours. And see how Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, where he acts powerfully for his people through his spirit. And then see how God has acted powerfully in your life, and the lives of those around you. See his compassion to us even when things spiral out of control. See how he transforms our greed and lust and pride into generosity, purity and humility. Not perfectly, not yet, but even as we grieve over our sin, we can see God acting powerfully to reshape our desires. Come and see what God has done in history and in the lives of God's people so that your trust returns again and again to Jesus as our refuge and strength, the Lord Almighty with us, the God of Jacob as our fortress. And the second command to inaction, stop, be still, that's enough. When chaos threatens to undo us, we often respond with frenetic activity. I know this is my response when things spiral out of control. I try to come up with solutions, I stress and micromanage so that I can regain some sense of security, often apart from God. And I can hurt people in the process, not to mention harming my relationship with Jesus. But in Psalm 46, God commands me, he commands all of us, to stop. Like Jesus rebuked the storm, he also tells us, quiet, be still, that's enough. Stop your worrying and organising and busyness and know that I am in control. Because how silly is it to try and micromanage a situation when the all-powerful God of the universe has things in hand? And how wonderful is it that Jesus invites us to come and find refuge in him? How do we respond when our world comes undone? Well, we can trust in the Lord Almighty as our refuge and strength. And when we see God's power and stop our own striving, we can just be in God's presence. We can rest in Jesus, in his protection and peace and kindness. Well, since Psalm 46 was written as a song, 
We're going to sing it together now. God is our strength and refuge. Please stand if you're, if you're able as we sing.